0: Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came in and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter the apostle, and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But... If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they, the apostles, left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name And every day, in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let's pray. Lord, an amazing, amazing narrative. May this be more than just a history lesson for some, an interesting story for others, maybe even an amusing story. But, oh God, may it be your word to us, That as you performed miracles, as you extended your hand, as you told the apostles to preach the word boldly. So today, you're telling us to preach the word boldly. Help us to make that connection and to receive the same power that they did. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Daylight saving time began on Sunday, March the 11th of this year, and it ended early this morning at 2 a.m. Did you turn your clocks back last night before going to bed, or were you one of those who unexpectedly showed up an hour early to church this morning? (laughs) Now, we can and we do turn our clocks back once a year so that the sun now rises at 6.30 a.m., rather than at 7.30 a.m. But one thing that we cannot do is that we cannot stop the sun from rising. The sun rising is an unstoppable event. The message this morning is about God's unstoppable plan. So this sun rising, it's an unstoppable event. It happens every day, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. Why? Because this is how God created the earth. In Genesis 1, 3 through 5, at creation, God said on the very first day, he said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day, and the sun has been rising every day since that first day. It is unstoppable, and so is God's plan. God's plan is unstoppable. The proclamation of Jesus Christ as leader and savior of his people is unstoppable. And this passage is about God's unstoppable plan, the unstoppable proclamation of Jesus Christ through the mouths of God's people. So let's set up the narrative, shall we? Let's take a look at the actors in this drama. Well, the main actor is the Lord Jesus Christ, or should I say the risen, ascended, enthroned Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that Acts is simply an account of the risen Lord Jesus continuing to teach and to act through his people. And he certainly is doing that here in this narrative. He is teaching and he is acting through the apostles. Next, the apostles. They're in this narrative, front and center. They're teaching about Jesus, they are healing people in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, the Jewish temple authorities these Jewish temple authorities who are forbidding the apostles from teaching that Jesus is the Christ. Have you ever heard this saying, the unstoppable force meets the immovable object? It's a false dichotomy, but it's interesting. It's when when one thing, the unstoppable force, meets something else, the immovable object. I always think about it in terms of football. When a great offense, the unstoppable force, meets a great defense, the immovable object, something has to give. Well, the temple authorities thought that they were the immovable object. What they didn't know is they were confronting the unstoppable force. They were confronting God himself. The plan of God is unstoppable. Nothing, nothing can stop it. It moves every object. And as we read this narrative, we should be asking ourselves this of the text. Whether the opposition of the temple authorities, the council of Jewish elders led by the high priest, will be able to stop the apostles from proclaiming Jesus. This is the second time now that they've told them, stop proclaiming that name. And the question that we should ask ourselves is whether the opposition in our lives will be able to stop us from proclaiming Jesus. Now, our opposition is not temple authorities threatening to harm us if we proclaim Christ. But there is opposition, isn't there, to proclaiming Jesus? Don't don't you sense it every time you attempt to do so? Whether it's in a community group, whether it's at work, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's doing an outreach like children battling cancer and putting together those bags and taking them to deliver to folks this Thanksgiving, or whether it's Christmas near the beach, which will take place Saturday, December 15th. There just always seems to be opposition to actually proclaiming Jesus. And as you read this text with me this morning. And as you listen to me preach this text by the power of the Holy Spirit, here's my prayer for you. Here's my prayer. I pray that God will reveal to you, first, the opposition to His plan, and then second, the unstoppable nature of His plan. What is the opposition to God's plan? We're going to look at it in the text, first century, original author, original audience. But then it has 21st century application to us. It must. And then what is the unstoppable nature of God's plan? And here's the reason why. So that we, we would have renewed faith to overcome that opposition and proclaim Jesus every day. As the sun rises every day, so God's mercies are new every day, and they're in Jesus, and we have it in our mouths to proclaim it. But there's an opposition. It's an ancient foe. Let's take a look at them. Point one, the opposition to God's plan. Well, if you drop into verse 17, you begin to see the list of characters lined up against God. Verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. So you have the high priest, you have the Sadducees. Drop down to verse 21. Continuing to highlight participants in this conflict and when they heard this they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach verse second part of verse 21 now when the high priest came and those who were with him they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel so here we have the high priest we have the council and we have the senate the full assembly of all the elders of Israel drop down now to verse 24 Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, so we add to the opponents here, the opposition to God's plan, the captain of the temple and the chief priests. All of these rose up against the apostles. And why did they rise up against the apostles? Look at verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him and filled with jealousy. These were not filled with the Holy Spirit. Nope, they were filled with another spirit, a spirit of jealousy. And they were jealous over the power and authority that had been wielded by the apostles because of the power of the Holy Spirit in them. This term, rose up against, is very reminiscent of what Psalm 2 says. Would say. In fact, if you turn back to chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, they quote Psalm 2 there. It says, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, verse 27, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people's of Israel. Here we see that the opposition the apostles are experiencing is not primarily against them but against the Lord's anointed Jesus. And because they are in Jesus and speaking in Jesus' name, then it's against them as well. We have here the culmination, one bookend, of the conflict that began in chapter 2. This is the conflict between the temple and the temple authorities and Jesus and his delegated authorities, the apostles. So for the last three chapters, this conflict over what is the real temple, who is the real temple, who are the real authorities over Israel, who is the real Israel, whose people are God's people. It's being played out for three chapters, and this is the final act. It's going to end with chapter 5. And it's being played out through the apostles who are teaching about Jesus as the one who fulfills the promises of God and whose authority is universal as evidenced by the signs and wonders they've just been doing. So in essence, they're saying, temple, physical temple, no longer needed Jesus is the new temple. Temple authorities, Sadducees, chief priests, captain of the temple, high priest, council of the elders, no longer the authority. Jesus is. It's a fight to the finish. Who's going to win? It's one of my professors in seminary used to say, Richard Parker, Richard Pratt, sorry, who's zooming who? Who's in control? Who's calling the shots? using a football metaphor, who's got the momentum in this game? Who truly is the unmovable force? And who really is the unstoppable force and who really is an immovable object? You see... When the apostles preached Jesus as fulfilling all that the temple and the law promised, all that God promised in the temple and the law, when the apostles preached Jesus as the authority, and then God, God's hand, through the hands of the apostles, actually starts healing people, it got everybody's attention. No medical plans back then. You were sick, you either died, or you were sick. And suddenly, people are being healed by Peter's shadow. I can't explain it. But God did it because it's a unique moment in redemptive history when he said, I'm replacing that. I never intended for that to be the final word, the physical temple, the council of the elders, all of these laws. All that will be fulfilled in Jesus. It had incredible implications for for men whose livelihoods, who made their money off of being the authority and the temple. It put an end to the inadequate temple system and their leadership and authority over the people. And they're going to oppose it with every ounce of strength they have. And they've got all the resources, all the money, all the authority. They can kill these guys because they killed Jesus a few months earlier. They've got all the power And everything, they seem like the immovable object. Except they're not. God. God is the only one immovable. God is the only one who is unstoppable. And he is about to show them exactly what's going on. So, the opposition, how did they exert it? Look at verse 18. They had these guys arrested. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public Prison. They seek to assert their authority by arresting them and putting them in a public prison. The showdown is on. The gauntlet has been thrown down. The opposition to God and his plan has been executed. Why did they put them in prison? Because they disobeyed their command. If you recall, in chapter 4, verse 18, last time these guys were before this council, They said to them, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And they blatantly disobeyed them. They were teaching about Jesus, and God was healing people, and it was really becoming a problem for these leaders. If you'll notice in chapter 5, verse 28, they're confronting them again. They say to them, after they arrest them, We strictly charge you, chapter 5, verse 28, our text this morning. We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on our head. And they charge him again in verse 40. Look at 540. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. You know, it's interesting. After Peter preaches to them the gospel, they wanted to kill him. Instead of killing him, they beat them. Probably all 12 apostles were there. They beat them to within an inch of their lives. This beating though it's not highlighted in the text, it's most probably the 39 lashes. This is some serious, serious stuff. This punishment was very serious, prescribed by the Jewish law for those who offended God's commands, offended the law. So what's the point for us? Friends, there will always be those who gather together against the Lord and against His anointed. Remember again, Psalm 2, which was prayed by these very apostles back in Acts chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. They began their prayer when they were threatened for the first time, before they were beaten. They were just threatened the first time. This time they're going to get beaten. And we're going to see later, some of them will die. But from the very first threat, the very first opposition, they understand and they say, God, we know that this is is opposition to you and your anointed Jesus. Take note of it. They also understood that because they are in Jesus, they would be opposition to them. So whether, whether it's the Jewish leaders at the center of Jewish life back then, or the world and its cultural leaders and their way of thinking at the center of our lives today, we are going to receive opposition, friends, if we proclaim Jesus as the Christ, as the only hope for salvation, as the leader whom we must follow. My my prayer in talking to you about what scripture says concerning the opposition back then is that God may reveal to you the opposition right now for you to proclaim Jesus. The question to ask yourself is do I proclaim Jesus on a regular basis? And if not, why not? What is what is stopping my mouth? It could be fear of what others will think of you. It could be fear of physical harm, though I doubt it, at least not yet. At least not in this country. Maybe it's a fear of being ostracized, rejected, set aside. Maybe you have a fear of not receiving that promotion at work if you are prominent with your faith in appropriate times. Maybe it's an internal opposition in your own soul. It just could be our sinful hearts. You know what? Sometimes we're just selfish. We don't, get, we don't want to get up off the couch and turn off the TV and go serve somebody. We're uncaring. We're too busy with what we want to do. Here's the question. What is is it that is keeping you from proclaiming Jesus? What is opposing God's plan for us? What is it that is keeping your mouth shut when it comes to talking about Jesus with others on a regular basis? I think at its root, friends, I think at its root, our opposition is unbelief. We don't see God's plan as unstoppable and Christ as all-powerful. What we see are the weaknesses, the problems. They fill our view. This would be what's opposing me in proclaiming the gospel. I have had real challenges, even to prepare messages recently. I've had challenges because I have had the privilege of seeing the weaknesses of the church. I don't have to look far. I see them every morning when I look in the mirror. But then I've seen others. And so if the enemy can't oppose me through just brute force, I will beat you and kill you if you talk about Jesus. He'll try to oppose me from within. I'll discourage you. This isn't really real. Look at this. Guy calls himself this and that one that. and Look at the mess that the church is in. Or I just look around and go, no one's listening. Why why, why proclaim the gospel? No one's going to come. I'm sure if you were asked the McDaniels right now with Christmas near the beach for December 15th, they're hoping people come, but isn't there that temptation? Why proclaim this? No one's interested in this. Christmas is about buying gifts and Santa Claus and having fun. Who wants Jesus? Yes. <laughs> but, but isn't that a lie that we tend to believe? I don't want to share the gospel here. What is it that is opposing you in preaching the gospel. I think it's a lack of faith. So when I start thinking that way, I have to say to myself, shut up, self. You are believing a lie. He's the liar. He's a deceiver, our enemy, our ancient foe. And that's a lie. Because I see here in scripture that Jesus Christ is the risen, ascended, enthroned Lord right now. And the gospel Is the power of God for salvation. They they must hear it from my mouth and yes, see it from my life, both end. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God is here with us in his awesome presence, making us holy? Thank you. Do you believe God is with us, guarding his people? And at times it is fearful. At times, maybe not as radical as Ananias and Sapphira, I hope. But he's going to take some people. Do you come with the reverent expectation of meeting with God each time we are together? Just look at 513. What kind of church was this first church? Look at 513. None of the rest dared join them. Now, that could be because they had watched Ananias and Sapphira pass away. <laughs> Not talking to Peter. But the people held them in high esteem. So it looks like a cliquish, standoffish group, right? Wrong. Look at verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. What's going on there? Well, I think what's going on there is a place where people who are mocking God and unrepentant are extremely uncomfortable. And people who are called by God, God's elect, are running because God has opened their eyes. And they're very comfortable there. See, the church was this place where God's presence was manifest. And it made those who did not repent and believe very uncomfortable. It's called conviction. And a place where those whom the Lord added were full of joy to join. Just jump back real quick to Acts chapter 2. Remember, Corey preached this. What kind of church was it? Look at this this other snapshot, Acts 2, 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Sorry, I meant 43. And all came upon every soul. There we go. And all came upon every soul and many uh, wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. See that word, all? And then skip down to verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes. And I believe teaching was going on there. I think that's community group time. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Friends, do you see that language in 2, 44, 43 to 46? Day by day in the temple, added to their number. Do you see the language in 5, 42, Day by day in the temple, 513 added to their number. What, what that's called, those are bookends. I mean, reverse the bookends. Okay, so here's the first part of this whole thing between the temple and their authority and Jesus and his authority. And now it's going to end. These are two bookends. When you see phrases like that that are very similar, pay attention. Oh, everything in here is probably about the same kind of thing. And it is. It's about the church. It's about God's true people. This is God's plan. This is the church of Christ. This is the church that Jesus is building, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, whether in the first century, expressed through the leaders and elders who were opposing God, or the 21st century, through, yes, persecution outwardly, or maybe just opposition inwardly. God's plan is unstoppable, but there will be opposition. So what are we going to do about it, guys? Well what we're going to do is we're going to ask God to show us the unstoppable nature of his plan worked out through the centuries in Christ applied by the Spirit that's what we're going to do we're going to do it right now point two the unstoppable nature of God's plan well let's just let's just go to the facts Let, let's go to the highlight reel shall we Let, let's you know da 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 let's just watch the highlights 512, and now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Do you you remember, you remember earlier when the apostles prayed and they said, Lord, by your hand do these things. Just look at 429 and 30 real quick. 429 and 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders perform through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God answered that prayer. Do you see that, friends? Jesus' hand was extended through the hands of the apostles as they were filled with the Spirit and Jesus was healing people through the apostles. And they were proclaiming his word and saying, it's not me that healed them, it's the name of Jesus. That's the unstoppable nature of God's plan. Jesus continues to speak and act through us, like he did through them. There may be some differences, there may be some things here that aren't prescriptive, more descriptive, but certainly declaring God's word, certainly believing God to do signs and wonders as he wills. It's the same, it's the same God, the same Lord, same Holy Spirit. The unstoppable nature of God's plan is rooted in the indestructible life of the risen and enthroned Lord Jesus, who continues to act, continues to speak, continues to teach. Amen? It's him, not us, but we express it, and if we're not expressing it, why not? The enemy wants to silence us, mute us, discourage us, Ah, but we're not going to take it, are we? No, we're not. (laughs) Okay, let's look at the the unstoppable nature of God's plan in the public confrontation. Go back up to chapter 5, verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 18. They arrest the apostles, put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, verse 19, and brought them out and said, Hey, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. See this public confrontation? The, the Jewish authorities publicly arrested the apostles, exerting their authority over them, and God privately releases the apostles, exerting his authority over the Jewish leaders. Who's Zoom and who? During the night, an angel of the Lord, maybe the Lord himself, not sure, comes and opens the prison doors. And what does he tell them to do? Go do the very thing these guys told you not to do. Go stand in the temple... Which is what, for them, the center of Jewish life, and teach them about the true center of, G- of Jewish life—me. I-, I love verse twenty-one B. See, we know the apostles are no longer in prison, but they don't know yet. It's like a movie, right, where you watch the guy walking, you know, and, and you see the other guy coming. You go, no, the guy's—I can see the guy's going to get you. Run! It's like, you know, that's what causes tension in a movie, right? You know something that the character in the movie, the actor in the movie doesn't know. Well, we know something that the Jewish authorities don't know. So what do they do? Verse 21b, now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. They're getting ready to nail these guys. Little do they know, verse 22, but when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, hey, we found the prison, security locked, the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, there was no one there. And so verse 24, they're thinking, the captain of the guard of the temple and the chief priest, they're going, hey, what will come of this? What's going on? And right in the middle of that, someone comes running in. There's a lot of exclamation points here. They come running in, and in verse 24, Five, and they say, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The men you put in prison and told them stop teaching in Jesus' name are now out of the prison, don't know how, and they're teaching in Jesus' name. We have a problem here, boys. I'm sure that's what the council were talking about. What are we going to do? Oh, friends, God's word cannot be imprisoned. God's plan cannot be stopped. It is unstoppable. Just like the death could not stop Jesus, and just like he rose from the grave at dawn on the third day, so a jail could not stop the apostles, and they emerged in the temple at daybreak to teach about Jesus. You know the Jewish elders were thinking this, going, man, we've seen this before. I mean, this is what we did to Jesus. We killed him. And then he escaped the grave, the prison of the grave. And he did it at dawn. And these guys have done the exact same thing right because they're his disciples. His plan is unstoppable. And the Jewish leaders knew that they were losing control. Look at verse 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they weren't afraid of being stoned by the people. Just imagine any scene you have, the police roll up, There's a mob. They are not going to grab the guy, slam him against the police car, put the handcuffs on him, and just throw them in the car. No, not going to do that on this one, because if we do, they're going to probably kill us. There's a lot more of them than there are of us. They realize something's happening here. These people are held in awe. So they kind of say, hey, would you guys mind coming with us? And the the apostles, probably all of them, all 12, yeah, sure, we'll go. His plan is unstoppable. And then what do they do? Verse 27. When they brought them before the council, what did they do? The high priest questioned them. Hey, we strictly charged you, verse 28, not to teach in this name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So here's another confrontation, is it not? Recorded in Scripture. Scripture. Old rule, old temple, old authority, new temple, Jesus, his authority. It's interesting that these guys were truly afraid. They were afraid. If you remember Bentley's illustration about not talking about monsters to Lila Grace, his little daughter. So if you came into his house and start talking about monsters to Lila Grace, he's going to attack you, throw you out of his house, at least scream at you and say, stop it. Well, for them, Jesus was a scary monster. Because what he preached meant an end to all they wanted. And so these guys would not stop talking about Jesus. And even worse, you see that phrase, you intend to bring his blood, bring this man's blood upon us at the end of verse 28? Back then that that meant you were guilty in his death. You know what's interesting? That several months earlier, when the Jews brought Jesus before Pontius Pilate, and they said, crucify him. And Pontius Pilate got, took the water out and washed his hands. He says, I wash my hands of this man's blood. They cried out, His blood be on us and our children. They're kind of regretting that soundbite. Because you know what they're thinking? These people may stone us if Jesus proves to be the true temple, the true Messiah. Because we did kill him. So they're nervous. This rebellion is is gaining some traction. And listen to what Peter says in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles, so it's all 12 of them. Peter was the spokesman, but they all spoke as one. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Okay, so now what we have is a four-point mini-sermon. Peter has been preaching sermons all through the book of Acts. Here's another one. You're going to see some similarities between this one and the other sermons. He gives a four-point mini-sermon. But before we get to the mini-sermon, I want to point something else to you. The spokesman for this group is the very man who a few months earlier had denied Jesus in front of a little servant girl. And now he's proclaiming Jesus to the most powerful men in the land who could kill him. Oh, friends, I pray that gives you hope. If perhaps you have denied Christ, oh, maybe not exactly like Peter did, but in your heart, in my heart, you have kept quiet about Jesus. you failed to share him with others when he clearly has led you to do so. Listen, he forgives you as he did Peter on the cross. And if you pray like Peter prayed, we read that prayer earlier in chapter four, verse 29, for boldness, he will empower you as he did Peter by the spirit to boldly proclaim him to others. As you listen to Peter's mini-sermon here, remember God's transforming power. Now, in the mini-sermon, you're going to see this conflict between the old temple, temple authorities, and the new temple, Jesus, his body, his people, and his authority, the apostles. And Peter is going to address, in this four-point sermon, he's going to address this conflict. Basically, in his sermon, he's going to start right out by just punching them right in the face theologically, with a thought, not with his fist. And here it is. First point, verse 29. We, we must obey God rather than men. He's saying, yes, I am in contempt of court because the greater court, God's court, has trumped this court. Second point, verse 30. He follows the straight jab to the face with a roundhouse to the head. (coughs) Here's what he says. The God of our fathers. Oh, friends, don't go by that one quickly. You got to remember, these guys are the fathers of Israel. So he's like invoking Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is trumping these guys. The God of our fathers The men with whom God made covenant and gave us promises, that God, the God of those guys, the God of our fathers, raised Jesus. And here's something similar in many of Peter's sermon. Whom you hanged on a tree. That took some courage, man. That just took some flat-out courage. What's he saying? We're the true Israel. Because the covenant promises that God made to our fathers, and you're supposed to be representing God and our fathers, well, those, those covenant promises are fulfilled through Jesus because God raised him from the dead. The guy, the one that you hung on a tree, now he specifically used tree there. Because a tree, if you hung on a tree for a Jew, according to Deuteronomy, you're cursed. So I believe this is an early picture of this, the doctrine of, of atonement, which is, being, is really being argued today in the church. Did Jesus have to die a bloody death to take the curse? God poured his wrath out upon Christ. Ooh, no. That's, that's People are arguing about that today. Why would God do that? What kind of God is that? Some of have even said that's child abuse. Did we do that to his son? No, it's not. No, no, the the language is very specific here. He became a curse. The wrath of God was on him. Preaching the gospel. So that the blessings that God promised to Abraham, you will be a blessing to all the nations, can be upon us. We're the true Israel. The promises come in Christ, not through that temple. And then look at point three of the sermon, verse 31. God exalted him. The one you rejected and killed, God exalted. Whoops. If you're supposed to be representing God to the people. God exalted him at his right hand as leader. Your version may say prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This third point is massive. The word that is translated in English, leader, can be translated prince, is the word archagos. very important word. It's It's the one who goes before us. Well, actually, this word ties us in, and this idea of God exalting Jesus to his right hand ties this in to Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1, if you could put that up there. One of the most oft quoted Old Testament verses in the New Testament. It says, this is now a, a, a messianic psalm, okay? So David's writing it, and he says, The Lord said to my Lord. Well, Jesus is the Lord here, the my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So this is David prophesying of what would happen when Jesus was raised from the dead and then he was was ascended into heaven and exalted to the right hand of God. And on that day, when that happened, the Holy Spirit was given him and he poured it out on God's people. So it's fulfilling this passage. And they went nuts when they heard this. Nuts. Because they knew what he was saying. Jesus is Messiah. saying Jesus from Nazareth that carpenter that we crucified beat to where no one could even recognize him and you you say he rose from the dead but no one's even you know that's in question that's the Lord yes yes by the way all those healings you've been seeing it's been in Jesus name not only Lord or leader Archegos but Savior Savior Peter is preaching to the very men that killed Jesus the gospel that will save them if they but repent and believe. That's just amazing to me. Amazing. He won't be quiet, even though they want him to be quiet, because he knows that this is the gospel they need to be saved. (laughs) See, Jesus alone can bring salvation. It's not found in the temple or the sacrifices going on right now, but it's found in Christ who replaces the temple and he replaces your authority and you rebelled against God's plan and he has removed you and now if you will but repent and believe in Jesus, he is the only one that can lead you and can save you. I love this quote from uh, Mr. Peterson. The titles leader and savior now explain more fully The implications of his, Jesus' ascension, in terms of his destiny to lead and rescue Israel in the face of impending judgment. Indeed, he was exalted to God's right hand as leader and savior so that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Oh friends, Peter is making this offer of salvation to those who condemn Jesus to death and those who are threatening him with death. I mean, the very offer of forgiveness makes genuine repentance possible. This incredible grace of God towards all who set themselves against Him and is anointed. That's us. Oh, if you're here this morning and you, you, you have not, you have not acknowledged your need of a Savior. You're maybe sitting here and I don't know what you're thinking. I, I pray God, open your mind and your heart. But, but, But I I, I appeal to you, oh friend, Jesus is the only one that can lead you and rescue you from the impending judgment, the coming day of Christ's return. He's at the right hand of God. He is the leader. He is the savior of all those who repent and believe in him. And he alone can bring you to repentance and forgive your sins. Oh, how I pray, how I pray he do that right now for you. I really pray that. Amazing boldness on Peter's part. Amazing grace on God's part. But we must acknowledge and repent, even as those leaders needed to acknowledge and repent. Now, I don't know if any of them were saved. I just don't know. I know that some priests were saved. We know that. I don't know if any in in that council were. You know me. I'm an eternal optimist and idealist. I'd like to think that maybe one or two were. God's plan is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. And point four. The last point in Peter's message. Verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. As you can imagine, this message did not go over well with the council. (laughs) They were enraged, and they would have killed the apostles But, it wasn't God's plan. And God's plan is unstoppable. Jump down to verses 38 and 39. Gamaliel says, don't kill these guys. Let's see if it's of God or not. I don't believe that that was a faith-filled thing. I think it's more of a fatalistic thing. He was just being a politician. But look, look what he says in verses 38 and 39. I believe this is from the Lord, even using one of his enemies to speak it. This is Gamaliel speaking. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Friends, you can't overthrow God's plan. You cannot overthrow God's plan. So instead of killing them, verse 40, they beat them to within an inch of their life. And how do these guys respond? Oh, amazingly. Look at verse 41. Listen to this. Then they left the presence of the council with bleeding backs ripped open by 39 lashes. Horrible beating. Twelve guys, staggering perhaps. Maybe they've lost the blood. They're passing out. They're certainly thirsty, They're a mess. And listen to how it's described. In fact, the text doesn't even go into detail about the beating because that's not what God wants us to see as as clearly. Here's what he wants us to see. And And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And then verse 42. How did they leave? Defiant. Verse 42. And every day, in the temple and from house to house every day every day they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ the word teach there is the Greek word euangelizomai which we get our word evangelism from euangelion the gospel their preaching was Jesus they were filled with the spirit they evangelized they preached Jesus yesterday I Took a break from my sermon prep. Had lunch at Shula's. And maybe caught the Gator game a little bit that was on the big screen. (laughs) Who's to know they'd have a big screen showing the Gator game at Shula's? (laughs) No, full disclosure, I knew that. And as the Gator game was over, I was finishing my lunch, going back to the office to finish writing the sermon. Uh, The University of Texas Booster Club came in because Texas played Texas Tech on the screen. And I had... I was multitasking. I was eating, watching the game, and I was typing on my iPad. And I was doing some research. And so th- they said, oh, you're multitasking? Yeah, yeah, whatever, you know. And then I said, well, w- w- what are you doing? Now, at that moment, it was a bunch of them. They were pretty rowdy, you know, the text. Arr! And so I just had this moment, you know, like I'm preparing a sermon. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, can you guys just keep talking over there? You like, sermon. And one of them, I think, was a Christian, because they asked, what's it about? And I had just finished studying all this about Jesus displacing the center of Jewish life. I just taught in the name of Jesus for a while until I could tell their eyes were rolling in the back of their head, and I said, okay, I got to go now, bye, bye. (laughs) Oh, friends. Oh, friends. Listen. One day the sun is going to stop rising. You know that, don't you? Yeah. Revelation 21. Revelation 21 tells us that one day the sun's going to stop rising. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for this first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And then jump down to verse 23. Verse 23, and the city, this new Jerusalem, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Amen. The same God who set the sun into the sky and ordained that we orbit that sun and ordained that we rotate on our axis counterclockwise so that every day the sun rises, maybe today it rises a day, an hour early, but it's going to rise every single day. It's that same God that says that one day the sun will no longer rise when my sun comes back and history is over. And oh, friend, friend, if you have not repented and believed in Jesus, listen to me. While the sun still rises, do it. Today. And if you have acknowledged Jesus as your leader and confessed your need for him as your savior and you've repented and you've professed by faith your trust in him alone to forgive your sins, then the question is whether, whether we, all of us corporally, will participate in the unstoppable proclamation of Christ today, tomorrow, and every day until the day the sun stops shine, rising when Jesus returns. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would give us much grace. I know that this message could could bring condemnation. Um, I pray it does not, but I do pray it brings conviction. Not in our strength. We have none. But in our leader's strength. Our Savior's strength. Forgive us for unbelief that has shut our mouths at times. And Lord, I pray that you would bring revival to our city. That you would save your elect. Those fast bound in darkness in the chains of unbelief, blind, and deaf. Oh, God, as we proclaim your word, would you add to the church? Would you save many men and women, boys and girls? Oh, Father, hear our cry. Give us boldness, Lord, and extend your hand, Father, to save and heal and do signs and wonders and build your church, Jesus, through us. As we as we look to you, our mighty fortress. Let's stand and conclude singing this song, Mighty Fortress.